It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. It's brought to you in part by Blake, the attorney Maislin. I'm in Orlando, Florida, in a hotel room with the wacky background. Rick is, of course, bunkered in his sports bunker back home, but uh, we are still here to bring you a, block, uh, a podcast in a week where this is kind of the, the really nothing week. I mean, you got the All-Star game, you got the home run derby, but really this is a week where for, for many gamblers, this is the week they kind of lay low, Rick, because there's not a whole lot going on in sports. There really isn't, Skinny. The big question is, did you watch any of the All-Star game? So we went to, to dinner last night and got back home at about the third inning, I guess, got back to the hotel, and I did, and it actually... I hadn't planned on really watching it very intently, but kind of hold up in a hotel. It's on. And I, I thought it was pretty good baseball. Usually all-star games bore me. That was actually a pretty exciting all-star game. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'll, I'll confess I didn't watch any of it, but I did catch the first few pitches in the car as I was driving somewhere. And it sounded like it started off pretty well. There were like two back-to-back catches at the wall to start the game off. So uh, yeah, it seems like throughout there was pretty good baseball being played. And, and really that's, the best part about Major League Baseball's All-Star Game is it's the real sport. You're actually playing the sport the way it's intended and the way it is usually played. So I think they definitely have the, the best All-Star Game. One thing that came up on Twitter today before we dive into our topics here is the idea of other sports needing to just do a dunk contest and a home run derby. Like, wouldn't you want to see football All-Stars? Like, football has such a bad All-Star Game with the Pro Bowl. Why don't you just let them do something more fun, like hit home runs and do a dunk contest for other sports? Wouldn't that be better than the the current Pro Bowl setup? Well, the one thing I would say is, I mean, I think you made the point. The baseball all-star game itself is is actually pretty good. It's actually real baseball as opposed to the NBA all-star game where it's 186 to 180. And and the, the, the pro football Pro Bowl has become a sham and a joke. They've tried those skills competitions. I just don't know if anybody's all that interested. The dunk contest feels like it, it jumped the shark 25 years ago to me. Yeah, yeah, but that that's the thing. So take take the the home run derby and apply it to football players. Like th- this is what we really need. We need like a Ryder style cup competition between all all three sports: basketball players, football players, baseball players. And you do a dunk contest or, or a dunk contest, three point contest, maybe. You do the home run derby, what, and then what you, would do you do like for football. I think you do like the quarterback club skills challenge. Remember that when you used to have all the I, quarterbacks? I do, that but didn't, I do, but didn't somebody get hurt doing doing that, if I'm not mistaken? Well, I think you maybe limit. I would just do the the uh, targets going across the field, right, where you're throwing at the uh, different maybe that. targets. That would be like a good thing for, for like pitchers or different baseball players to try. Who, who or just a simple 100-yard dash. Which athlete sports would be best at those weird skills competitions? Um. I'm going to say football players because it feels like every it, most times a guy's drafted in football. You look back and he was a pretty good high school basketball player. There's the occasion like DJ Reader was a pitcher at Clemson. Uh, Miles oh, Murphy was smokes. a great. Yeah, uh, uh, think about that. Uh, Miles Murphy was a was a pitcher in high school that hit 90 miles an hour at like age 14. I, I'm going to go the football guys would be best at, at, if you if you combined everything. And we thought Ian Jabot had a few extra love handles. <laughs> Jeezel Pete's. Well, Ian Jabot's going to try try to be a swing tackle, I think. Bengals might be able to use them. We'll get into the Bengals and their offensive line talk next week before we get ready for training camp. But let's get back to the Reds here. They are in first place in the NL Central at the All-Star break, which seems crazy to say, given where we were a few months ago. The record is 50-41, and 41, a game ahead of the Brewers, seven games up on the third-place Cubs. The Reds and Brewers will play another three-game series starting on Friday as soon as the All-Star break is over, and they'll play again before the end of the month. So this feels like a, a really big month for the Reds in first place in the NL Central. Skinny, you did some superlatives from the Reds' first half of the season. Let's run through some of these. Give me your MVP for the Reds from the first half of the season. Yeah, and you and I talked about this three weeks ago, but this kind of was the end of the first half and things can change in a three-week time frame. I, I went Andrew Abbott. Um, just because uh, before his last start, his first six starts, the team was 6-0. and He was 4-0. and Safe to say if he doesn't make those starts, maybe they're 
three and four at best, maybe two and five. You take that out of the equation, they're not in first place any longer. And um, I think I think it was key when he stopped that little three-game losing streak after the 12-game win streak. Um, that's what stoppers do. His next start, he continued a winning streak. And then obviously, I know his last start wasn't a good one, but I, I don't think you're going to have a guy make 34 starts in a year and all 34 are going to be two earned runs or less. Um unless your name is Babe Ruth back in 1918. That just doesn't happen. So um, he was my guy over Spencer Steer, I guess, would be my runner-up. Uh, and and I'd say that with all deference to what Ellie has meant in his month. It's just not enough of a sample size. And same for Matt McClain. But those guys certainly mean the running. I mean, Ellie, they're 23-8 and eight since Ellie came up, and I don't think that's by accident. I would agree with you. When you look at the whole of things, it's hard to pick Ellie as your MVP from the first half. But – I think there's a legitimate argument because of what you just laid out. There's no way you can deny the fact that he has changed this team since he came up. And I don't know if you want to go intangibles with just the fun and the spark aspect of what he's brought, or if it's really just when he makes plays, they are loud plays. He doesn't hit singles. He doesn't just get on base. When he gets on, he does something big. He disrupts the game. I could listen to an argument about Ellie being the MVP in the first half of that. Yeah, play. and like I said, I, I think the only reason I didn't is just because it's just not enough. But but it's still, I mean, the 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 thirty one games of what it was was pretty damn spectacular, and twenty three and eight speaks for itself. Um, you know, he obviously had that moment on Saturday where he stole you know second, third, and home. Then I don't know if you watched Sunday's game, Rick. My my jaw dropped watching him catch the foul or not actually turn out to be a fair ball down the third baseline over his shoulder, and he made it look so easy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I could make an argument. And I, I you know, last week I, I talked about, I made an argument for Spencer Steer should have been an all-star if the process was different. So if I think he's an all-star, he certainly has to be in the MVP conversation. Um, but I don't think he's changed this team as goofy as it sounds. I think Andrew Abbott changed this team. And I think Ellie changed this team. And, and I know somebody's listening is going, well, Andrew Abbott's sample size isn't very big either. And you're right. I, I'm just taking his seven starts, actually his first six in which they were six and oh. Again, turn that into two and five or three and four at best with some other hack that would have started. Um, and this team isn't in first place. You could also argue the 23 and eight surge since Ellie came up is what has put this team in first place. So you, the argument's valid for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same argument for Abbott and Ellie, right? Like it's the impact that they've had in their moments when they've had their opportunities. Abbott only gets to pitch every fifth day, but every time he's taken the ball, He's given them a chance to win. He's been a major difference maker. Let me throw out a couple other names because one of the crazy things about this first half of the season for the Reds is there are legitimately four or five answers to this question that are very legitimate. And I I can hear the argument out and be like, damn, that's that's a pretty good point. Who who on this team, Skinny, do you think has the highest war right now without looking? Um, I did this the other day. I, I think I only did position players because I think Steer was up there in position players. Friedel was up there in position players too. It's TJ Friedel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was up there. I think the other day he was just behind Steer when I did my argument for, for the, um, uh, Steer being an all-star. And I said, I, I made, I think I made a case in that same column for, uh, for Matt McClain and for TJ Friedel, uh, especially Friedel against Lourdes Gurriel. Uh, you know, his numbers are more than comparable and his war I think was, was higher. His OPS was higher. So, yeah, I mean, certainly T.J. Friedel doesn't surprise me that his, his worst up there. I, I knew it was close. Yeah, and, and again, I wouldn't even say he's the MVP of this team, but again, that no, just right. gives you another aspect of how deep this team is and how many guys are really playing well throughout the first half of the season. And again, not that war is the end-all, be-all in baseball stats or anything like that, but it's just interesting when, when you throw that number out there, I don't think most people's answer would have been T.J. Friedel off the top of their head. Uh, I also brought up a couple weeks ago when we talked about this, and I still think it's it's a legit answer, the lone all-star on this team. Alexis Diaz right. has appeared in, what, 38 games, and he's been damn good in pretty much every one of them? I mean, it's it's tough to argue without him that they'd be screwed because this bullpen has been such a bright spot on this year's team. Yeah, he's been dominant. Mean, he, he had his first blown save. Uh, what was it last week? Um, <laughs> and and then the really the only other game where he didn't pitch great was in, in Philly early in the year. If you remember that start where Nick Lodolo struck out what eleven or twelve in seven innings, and David Bell tried to run Diaz out there for two innings um, in a tie ball game. Actually, I think the Reds actually might have been down one nothing, but he, he ran him out there for a second inning, just trying to, to to win a game when they were desperately trying to win something. And the second inning, he just got roughed up. So I can even excuse that. But other than that, I mean, it's almost literally he's in and it's lights out. And you can't, you can't, you're right, you can't denounce that. I mean, that's a big, big deal. 
you know, I, I'm watching a guy last night. The, I think the kid that gave up the two run homer in the all-star game uh, for the American league, he's got really good numbers, but he's blown five of 28 saves. That's, that's a big deal. Um, I don't care if your ERA is 1.06 and you're striking out two guys in inning five blown saves is still a big, big number. And um, he's an all-star a legit all-star as other numbers suggested it. Um, and, and Diaz on the other hand has blown one game. <laughs> it's pretty good. And think of all the high leverage situations that he's been in. This team has been in so many come from behind wins and so many games where it's like, okay, they have a five run lead or a four run lead going to the sixth or seventh or eighth inning. And then all of a sudden now it's a one run game or it's tied and they right. got to come back ahead. And then you need Diaz to get the one run save. It's, it's been like a lot of end of game scenarios where the game is in the balance. And then Alexis Diaz comes in and shuts him down. And it hasn't just been him. There have been, some other really good performances out of the bullpen this year, but he's been the anchor back there. And I think he deserves recognition for being in this conversation, even if he's probably not the choice. The The next category on the list is most improved. Where did you go for this one? Yeah, I, I went Will Benson. I mean, the, the start he had, the one for 25, or one for 20, rather, and I think he struck out 12 or 13 times, got sent back to Louisville, wasn't really hitting great at Louisville, came back up. Didn't really hit when he first came back up. His numbers ran, I think, two for 27. And then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off, and he's now hitting well over three, like 360 since then, and on base of almost 460. He's hit a little pop as well with four doubles, four triples, four homers. Um, I don't even know if there's a close second to who's the most improved on this team. We're talking inside of a, a two-month span that he's he's shown that improvement and given them a legit another bat in the lineup and the, the luxury of batting him ninth. Uh, I'm not going to sure you're going to find a better ninth place hitter in all of baseball than, than, than Will Benson. And I, I hope it keeps up for his sake. Um, and, and it's funny because um, some people that cover the team I talked to, they talked about one of the reasons the Reds were high on him was it, it always took him like a second year at a level to kind of figure it out. Like second year at double A, he figured it out. The second year at triple A, he figured it out. The last year he played a little bit in Cleveland. He was like 10 for 55 and struck out a whole lot. And then that kind of continued into this year. I thought, well, he's not going to figure this out. And then he went to Louisville and you're like, well, he's not going to figure this out. And he came back up and, well, he's not going to figure this out. And then he figured it out. And I, I know a lot's been made of the, the flight where he sat with Joey Votto and talked hitting for two hours and that, and that helped him. Maybe that's all it was. But whatever it is, there's no doubt in my mind. I, again, I'm not even sure there's a close second. I, if you've got somebody, I'll listen to it, Rick. But I don't know of anybody else other than Will Benson. Well, I think the way you're answering that question, Will Benson is the only answer. But that's kind of an interesting way to answer because typically most improved is not about guy who improved during the same season. It's usually about guy who got better from previous seasons, right? right? So, right. And on this Reds team, it's a little bit tougher to do that because a lot of the guys that are playing well are first-year players or, or rookies who didn't have much of a sample size. So um, I think Will Benson is probably the only answer from that perspective, the way you did it. If you wanted to look from previous seasons – I mean, again, these guys had such a small sample size before this year, but I think Friedel or Steer would probably be the guys for me. I did not think Spencer Steer was going to be this type of player. I, after watching a little bit of him last year, I thought, oh, okay, this is just going to be a, an extra body in the outfield or maybe utility. You can move him around third base, first base a little bit, but he's not going to be a, an everyday type of guy when they start bringing some of these young guys up. And lo and behold, you just had him in your MVP conversation. Yeah, I, 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 that's a fair call. Um, and, and again, you know, the, the small sample size from last year, the numbers weren't great. And, and I'm kind of with you. I, I, I thought, well, if you could get 15 home runs out of him in the seventh or eighth spot in the lineup, that's a nice step for at least figuring out a body. But he's certainly been more than that. But I, yeah, I'm not going to waver on my Will Benson picket because it's just been such a dramatic improvement to me. All right, let me throw one other name out there for you. And I, this like, wouldn't be my answer, but it's kind of a name to think about. What Jonathan India? for this situation after the year he had last year. I know a lot of that was injury related, but still there was so much concern about where he was at coming out of last yeah. year. And he, he has kind of gotten back to where he was his rookie year, at least. Right. So the only thing for India though, is, I mean, the average, at the end dipped badly, Rick. And I just think the way he finished, he is he improved from last year. Yes. Um, and I don't, did he fall in love with hitting the home run? I, I don't know, but I don't even know if I can make a case for him the way he finished the first half. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I just, Again, I think it, that, that question gets a lot tougher if you take it from who's most improved from last year to this year. Sure. I, I don't know who the best answer for that is. I guess probably Steer or maybe Friedel. Uh, all right, let's go to most pleasant surprise. Who do you have for that? Um, I just think the rookies as a whole. You know, listen, I know they were they were highly thought of, and 
you got a lump steer into the equation. I, I know he wasn't, you know, he was kind of an afterthought, but even though these guys were highly thought of for them to come up and do the special things they've done, that's still a pleasant surprise to me. You hope, but you hope they can at least produce, right? You hope they don't embarrass themselves. You hope that you don't have to send them back. They've gone above and beyond to the point where they are huge cornerstones right here, right now. And so to me, th- that would be the answer. Yeah. I, I think all of the rookies are an easy answer. If you try to pick out just one, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Uh, I think I'd go back to Abbott, though, when you, you were talking about him as the MVP. I would also probably say most pleasant surprise. And a big reason for that is, even though he was seen as a pretty highly thought of prospect, he wasn't pitching very well in the minor leagues before he got called up. So to see him pitch lights out the way he has is, has definitely been a bit of a pleasant surprise to me. Oh, I don't know. He dominated Chattanooga and he dominated a chunk of starts at Louisville. I know the numbers don't pop off the charts at you, but he, he was he was doing some special things, especially when you look to strike out the innings pitch. But I get it. Um, you know, he wasn't talked about before the season in the Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft vein. And we didn't even talk about Andrew Abbott when the season began. So uh, but I, again, he's lumped into the rookies as a whole. So I, I just think it's that whole group to come up when done what they've done is just a, a shocking surprise to me, to be honest with you. What about the uh, biggest disappointment? I think it's the development of what I would call the big three, if you will, and that's the the, the Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft portion of the program. Green certainly was the best of the three, the most consistent of the three, at times the most dominant of the three. He also had a stretch where he didn't pitch great, but then injury has set him back now. So I think you have to, to factor that in when you're talking about development. Obviously, Lodolo, with, with what he did before he got put on the I.L., and then Ashcraft went through his – stint where he couldn't get anybody out and his ERA was over 10 for goodness sakes. Um, he's bounced back the last two starts and hopefully that's the sign of things to come. But I think a little bit of the development of that and some of it again is injury related, but you got to factor that in when you're talking development, you can't develop if you're on the IL and two of them are on the IL at the moment. Um, again, that was an easy answer for me. You may have a different one, but I, I really couldn't come up with anything else because that's what this season was supposed to be about to watch those three guys develop and develop well as the season went along. And here we are as the season's gone along and only one of them's in the rotation. And you're kind of going, all right, these last two starts real, or was this just a a little fluke again? I I hope it is real because I like Graham Ashcraft and I want it to work. So I'm going to go with with the development of those guys being the the biggest disappointment. Yeah, I would agree. There's no other better answer than those three. I mean, if you're going to make it tougher, I guess pick out one name. I think for me, that'd probably be Graham Ashcraft out of that group, just because he, the other two were more injury related. It felt like I know he had his right. his little bout with an injury there, but it felt like he really just lost it all for a handful of games in the middle of this stretch. The other guy, if we're not going to go pitcher related, there's only one other name I could really come up with here, and that would be Will Myers. Yeah, I didn't think much of Will Myers when they signed him, so I can't even go with the disappointment. I, you know, what was disappointing is that they actually spent money to sign Will Myers. That was disappointing. Well, I'll go with that. that. That's exactly it. That's where the disappointment comes in, right? You only make one move of any significance during the offseason. It's to pay Will Myers a bunch of money, and he comes in and does absolutely nothing and then gets injured. So uh, I I guess that's more of like a technicality, but Will Myers could maybe be an answer there too. Back back to the pleasant surprise for a minute, I lumped this in, is is the fact that the front office was willing to pull the trigger on those rookies and bring them up um, and not keep giving – and the whole, well, we just need them time to develop. Well, they, they they literally bullied their way up here the way they played in Louisville. And to the front office's credit, they realized they, they got nothing left to prove. Let's do this. And then I also give the front office credit for eating Mustakas' contract in the offseason, eating Lewis Sessa's contract early in the year when he stunk, then eating Will Myers' contract. Good for you guys to say, you know what? We've already spent the money, and there's no reason to plug these guys in if they can't perform. Time to get rid of them. Good for the front office on all those things, too. The, the latter part I give the front office credit for eating some contracts, doing that, that stuff they haven't always done in the past. The first part of that, I mean, they waited as long as humanly possible. Like, like we talked about before, had they not brought Ellie de la Cruz up on June 6th, when they did, there would have been riots in fountain square and at the banks. Yeah. I mean, there was no other choice there. If anything, they, and in all honesty, watching Ellie now, you could make the argument that why the hell did he not start the year up at the major league team? There was no reason for him to be down in the minor well, leagues. Listen, I will say they did make the point of they wanted him to, to show, because remember he tore it up right when he came off the, the IL initially, right? He was just hitting bombs and doing special things. But one of the points that was made was they wanted to see him have a little more plate discipline. And to his credit, he started to show that at Louisville. And I think oh, that was I mean, he struck out 150 times also. So, I mean, I well, don't know. He does strike out a lot, but he, but I, I think he could strike out a whole lot more, Rick, 
Uh, he's one of those guys, honestly, if he puts back the ball, it's going to probably be a hit somewhere. I mean, that, that's 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 a fact. So the more plate discipline he gets, um, the better off that he is. I mean, I, I think I think he has shown that at times. I think he's done a pretty good job of that at times. Hey, by the way, you mentioned earlier that insane stretch of play, sequence of plays there where he stole second, third, and home in a matter of two pitches the other night. It was about a week ago. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that, first of all? And is there anyone else you can compare Ellie to in terms of guys you've seen before? Sure. Jeff Hutchinson for uh, for Johnny's Car Wash back in Class B Knothole. I mean, he just dominated like that. He could, <laughs> he, could go, he could go second to third to home, and he could strike out 15 in a day. I mean, it, yeah, that, that's the last time I think I've seen that guy. I mean, that's what it looks like, right? That guy in Knothole who just goes, I'm so much better than you all if this isn't even fun for me. Yeah, exactly. Like you can even see it where he's watching the other players waiting. Like, oh, if this Jamoke turns his back, I'm just running on him. There's, he's got right. no shot. Exactly. That's what it looks. Major league guys aren't supposed. That's not supposed to happen at the major league level, man. It's just, it's, it's just not. So yeah, I'm going back to Class B knothole. <laughs> and I try, I try not Got to get Johnny's too, car wash. <laughs> I try not to get too hyperbolic with this stuff because they're look. He's not the best player in major league baseball right now. Like Shohei Otani is doing what he's doing, but the combination that he has of this insane power, and also this insane speed that changes the game, and he plays with this sort of reckless style, I really don't know who to compare him to. I don't have a guy that I've seen in my lifetime that plays this way that has those types of attributes. No, I'm with you. It, it, it is. It looks like a, a it looks like a man who's been plopped into a Class C or B not whole game and go, um, yeah, go dominate these kids if you want. Yeah, like somebody's older brother decided to sneak into the lineup for he this lied. game. He's, ni- he's 19 years old playing in a 12-year-old league. Danny Almonte. Danny Almonte. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah. go. All right. Uh, Skinny, we'll wrap it up, th- this little segment up here with the the big question. Can the Reds sustain their success in the second half of this season? It's a great question. I do think the lineup can. I mean, I, I again, the shutout against Milwaukee in, on the final day aside, it had been in months since they've been shut out. I mean, th- this offense is just too dynamic top to bottom with the ability for David Bill to mix and match against righties and lefties. I think that's the other part. It's when he has to platoon guys, Rick, I, I don't think there's a big drop off. I, I think it gives him the opportunity to do that a lot and to make in-game substitutions depending on, on the pitcher. So I think this lineup can sustain it. Can the pitching, man, I, I, I don't know. I I'd like to say yes, because you're going to get Green and Lodolo back, you hope, at some point in, in August. The question is, can you get through July? Because this stretch of July games is just absurd what they've got to play with Milwaukee, um, the Giants, Arizona, the Dodgers, Milwaukee again. I mean, it's a really, really rough stretch. Can you get through it with the current starting pitching as is? They've, they've done it to this point. I, I don't know if it's sustainable. I, I think a. I think we all agree with this. They're going to have to make some move at the deadline to get a a, a bona fide starting pitcher, um, whatever level that might be. And then you're crossing your fingers that Green and or Lodolo come back and and regain what you hope is their form. That Ashcraft holds his form together. That you know, the, the caveat to, to Abbott right now is Milwaukee's the first team that saw him a second time. And what did Milwaukee do to him the second time? They they beat him around a little bit. Um, again, I, I'm not going over the skis on that, but it's it is a fact. So, yeah, I, I think the offense is sustainable. The pitching, I the starting pitching, I just don't know. Yeah, I, well, and you've got a few things going on there, too, because you mentioned that the the second time seeing Ashcraft and the pitchers is one thing. There's also the fact of there's a bunch of young players that are playing really well for the Reds and hitting really well for the Reds right now that are going to have to face pitching staffs for the second time through. They're going to, to go through these teams and with a little bit of tape on them and a scouting report that's that's more sussed out. Like these these second trips through the the uh, the opposing teams are not going to be easy for either the pitching staff or the young hitters on the Reds roster. So that is a real concern. But I, I will say the depth that they have, both in terms of the current roster and the young talent in the minors that they can still bring up, definitely right. gives me hope that the lineup can keep it rolling like you laid out. Yeah, I, I I have full belief in the lineup. I, I think there's a book out on Ellie now, and I think we've seen it with, with him seeing so many breaking balls. I don't think there's going to be a book that's going to get Matt McClain out on a regular basis. I think he's just one of those guys that he's going to make whatever adjustment he needs to make. So I, neither one of those guys really worry me. The Abbott one a little bit, like I said, because that's the first team he faced the second time as a pitcher. Um, but I still really believe in that kid. I think he's, he's, he's going to be a quality starting pitcher. You know, can you still win with the Ben Lively? I mean, the Luke Weaver stat is so comical that, that whenever he starts, they win, despite the fact that he gets 
his brains beat in. That that can't be sustainable for goodness sake. So something's got to change in the starting rotation. Yeah, I mean, but you should get back the two guys who are supposed to be the top two in your starting pitching rotation. That's not insignificant. I mean, again, who knows how no, those right. guys will be pitching if they come back, and who knows if you'll still be in first place in the NL Central or within striking distance when July is over because of the stretch that that you mentioned. But if you get those two guys back and you're in first place still or hovering right there within a game or two, I think this team has a real chance to to make the playoffs and quote-unquote well, sustain it, their success. Yeah, and I, I wrote a column when they were under 500 that I thought playoffs was very feasible at that point, and I probably was over my skis a little bit, but but my point was as, wasn't as much – I think this Reds team's going to go reel off 92 wins all of a sudden this year. It was the fact that this division isn't very good. And again, you still look at that Milwaukee lineup top to bottom. It's just terrible. I mean, Yelich is still pretty good at the top. I mean, they've had to move him from the middle of the lineup to the top just to have somebody that can get on base, for goodness sakes. It's just a, it is not a very good lineup. So I don't think their hitting is sustainable. So again, I don't think it's going to take anything miraculous outside of 87 wins to win this division. And the question now is, can you get to the 87 wins? Uh, I mean, you can get there playing 500 baseball for the rest of the way. So I, I think that that that's I think that that's it, that part's at least sustainable to me. Yeah, you mentioned the Brewers and the Reds. You know, they just lost that series right before the All Star break to the Brewers. But when that was over, I was thinking that team's not that good. Like it was a completely different feeling right. from when the Reds played the Braves right. a couple weeks ago. It was like, damn, how did they win a couple games against those teams? <laughs> They're awesome. Yes. and then you play the Brewers. It's like. They let that. They let a couple of those get away. They should have won that series. And the Brewers do not worry me going forward. And in fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they had a bit of a second half collapse. So, I mean, it feels very doable, if nothing else, just because the National League Central stinks. Exactly. All right. One more Reds topic to get to real quick here. That's kind of separate from all of this. What's currently going on with the team. Baseball commissioner Rob Manfred said he has no intention of altering Pete Rose's lifetime ban from baseball and said the sports commercial deals with gambling companies have no impact on the status of the career hits leader. Now, Skinny, normally I would gloss right over any Pete Rose articles. I don't care about this topic anymore. Everyone's done with it. I get that. But with the fact that there are the sports books partnering up with the major league teams, you have the the uh, MGM sports book right there in Great American Ballpark now. Do you think the legalization of sports gambling across our country and the partnerships, the undeniable link between Major League Baseball and the sports book now makes Pete's situation any different? I don't. Um, and, and I'm going to give you a, I'm going to turn a 180 on this here in just a second, because um, I, I think Pete served enough penance for starters. But no, I don't. I mean, because because Pete did bet on the game itself. And and that that part is still you, that is still illegal. It's always going to be illegal, always should be illegal, whether you bet on your team, bet on another team, bet against your team, however you do it. Um, that, that still is illegal. That's still a, a rule inside clubhouses that is there every day that Pete knew he was breaking it and did it. And it and there wouldn't be an excuse tomorrow if every state legalized gambling, there wouldn't be an excuse for, for that. I think there's a more of a danger for that now. I think you're seeing that in the NFL with guys who didn't know, oh, I'm not allowed to bet on another team. And, the, and, the, and oh, okay. Now, some of those guys, none of those guys have gotten a lifetime ban yet. Pete's was a little more extensive. Part of it, too, is he he lied and, and held out. And um, there were past gambling transgressions that the league knew about. So, uh, But at the same time, I mean, are we literally going to punish this dude to his grave? I mean, that, that's the part I don't get. I mean, at this stage, if you reinstate him, what's he going to do to be involved in the game other than talk about the game, which he does already? And it allows him induction into Cooperstown where he belongs, period, end of story. Um, but, no, I, I I don't think that chance – I don't think the whole gambling – plateau of today changes what Pete did. I do think he served enough penance, though, to be quite frank. I guess the issue with that becomes, well, then for the next guy, is it not as big of a deal? If if eventually people got over Pete and they just said, well, well okay, he served, he served his time, we're over it, we've moved on, does it become more acceptable the next time? Then? Well, no, I don't think it does. I mean, you know, if a guy does it in his 30s and you say, you know what, you're not eligible until you're 70 because you're not going to be able to do anything in baseball until then, I think that's enough of a penance too. I mean, that's a long, that's a long time to serve. I mean, for Pete Rose, he wanted to be involved in the game as a manager, um, however, a hitting coach, whatever. And, and they took that away from me. Well, he took it away from himself. Don't get me yeah. wrong there. Uh, but that was taken away from him for literally his life. And now he's at, a, at an age where he can't come and be a hitting coach or be around the game. He's too old for that. 
but he should be reinstated to be elected. Again, it's going to happen one day. And do you really want it to be after the man dies? Is that is that the is that the punishment we want? Yeah, I, I guess I would have more of an issue with this or be willing to listen to that argument more if Pete Rose was a reasonable human being who felt like he deserved any of this stuff. But the, the thing is, he stinks. He is the worst. And like, honestly, I understand if Major League Baseball is like, even now, even though he won't be involved too much with the game, we really don't want him around. We really don't want to honor this guy. That doesn't bother me. I kind of get that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'll I agree to disagree on that one. But to your original question, yeah, I don't think the fact that the gambling is involved with baseball, it changes any way. I mean, you still can't do it, nor should you do it. And if you do it and you're caught, there has to be a punishment for it. All right, let's switch gears here to college basketball. This was the most requested story of the week by far. And <laughs> by that, I mean, probably two people asked us to talk about it. But Bob Huggins issued a statement over the weekend that he never resigned as coach of the West Virginia men's basketball team and that he would sue if he wasn't reinstated. West Virginia's legal counsel fired back with a letter addressing in great detail that he actually did resign and the school wouldn't be accepting, wouldn't be unaccepting his resignation. Uh, Two sides have gone back and forth another time or two with letters through their their legal counsel. Skinny, what do you make of Huggins' potential lawsuit against West Virginia? Did did, did he resign or not? I mean, it seems like his wife resigned for him um, and maybe he did it under the duress of being being drunk again. I don't, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, dude. He might've been drunk when it happened. That part part I'll agree with. But aside from that, there's no way. But but it it, it did seem like that his wife is the one that resigned for him, right? Well, no, what, what his, what West Virginia's legal counsel is saying is they, his lawyer said, yes, talk to Bob. He is resigning. How do you, we, he doesn't do email and I don't have working internet at my offices. So can we send it from his wife's email address is what West Virginia is claiming happened. They laid out the timeline in full detail and they're saying, you know, that, that they talked to him multiple times. Even he, he then came to clean out his office. He told the team he resigned. He cleaned out his office. He spoke to the athletic director at that time and said he was resigning. So never at any point has he ever acted like he wasn't, resigning or he wasn't going to be the coach so was that was was that june saying no you're done with this i'm sick of this you're quitting i'm quitting for you and at the end of the day he went a few days later not nah, a hell with that i'm not i i yeah i well, in the heat of the moment he said yeah i'm so sorry I, I yeah i need to get away from this and go fix myself and three or four days later when he sobered up he went not the hell with this i'm still a coach and i i, I didn't resign it wasn't me i mean what was that old song it wasn't me I think this was a lot more about a lawyer seeing a potential loophole and how to get him more money. Uh, maybe. Uh, dude, he is such a junkie and such a lifer that I think we we have joked about this. He is going to die on the basketball court. He may go back and coach Division three basketball somewhere just to coach. I, so I just, that was my next question. He's going to be lost without it. He's going to be completely lost without coaching basketball. Yeah. So do you think he'll he'll coach again somewhere? I do. I do. I do too. I mean, like, especially after this episode, I, I, and I don't know how much of this is about him actually thinking he could be the head coach of West Virginia again. I tend to think this is more about legal issues, trying to get some of that contract back and saying, no, you're going to have to fire me. But even if so, it would seem that they could fire him for cause and still save that money. So I really don't know what Huggins is going for here. This seems like a great way to tear down your legacy at the university that you supposedly loved and where everybody loved you and you had this great legacy. You know what would be a good fit eventually? Marshall. I thought you were going to say Cincinnati. No, in-state. I mean, can you imagine him going out to fundraise in the state with with still probably people backing him at 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 another university in the state? Oh, man, that would be beautiful. That would be beautiful, (laughs) wouldn't it? That would be great. And if like three years from now, Marshall is in the Sweet 16 and West oh, Virginia is just in the dumps of the Big 12, which is totally reasonable that that totally could happen. Totally reasonable, yes. <laughs> Man, that would be crazy. And anything else on the, the Bob Huggins stuff? I mean, this is like, it's one of those things where I kind of just read it and shook my head and laughed. Like, I did the same thing, but literally what came to mind was, huh, maybe he really didn't. And she did it for him because she was so pissed. Maybe I, I just, the fact that he talked to the team and he cleaned out his office, he spoke to all of them. And then for two weeks, 
didn't say anything about it. And then now all of a sudden he's like, hey, wait, I never resigned. It's like, well, what were the last two weeks then? You haven't been at work. I mean, you haven't clean, clean and sober. <laughs> yeah, that is true. He did say he checked himself into a, a world class rehab facility. Yep, so I, there you go. I'm glad he is trying to get the help that he needs. Allegedly. I am, too. Uh, Xavier also had a bit of news this week. They released a statement on Tuesday about the health of forward Jerome Hunter. The release read, quote, Jerome Hunter is dealing with a medical issue that has sidelined him from all on-court basketball activities. Our medical team is working with Jerome to navigate a path for his return to full health. His timeline for a return to basketball will be established at a later time. Skinny, what was your take when you saw the release from Xavier? Well, for full credit, you you uh, you did some reporting over the weekend on it and had an initial thing on on uh, on the message board at, at musketeerreport.com. So I got to give you full credit for for the reporting on that. And then Xavier obviously uh, came out with the statement. First and foremost, your thoughts are with with Jerome Hunter um, as far as him getting back to full health, um, and then depending on what what it was, and for all intents and purposes, it was a, apparently a cardiac incident. Yeah. Um, it's always sounds scary. It certainly needs to be checked. It needs to be looked at. It needs to be fully vetted, all of those things. But uh, you and I know a guy at NKU, Jalen Billups, who went through a cardiac episode, came back and played and played quite well after that. Um, the kid from Florida who's now at Kansas State, I'm drawing a complete Johnson. Yeah, thank you. Um, had one of the scarier incidents you're ever going to see um, and has come back and, and fully recovered. So, A, first and foremost, the hope is Jerome Hunter – gets back to full health and then B um, is medically cleared to play and comes back and does play. Yeah. These, these situations are always tough. Cause obviously the, the first point is from a human aspect, you just hope the guy is all right. And you yeah. imagine how scary that was for him and his family. And it gets weird to start talking about what it means from a basketball perspective, but that's what we do, right? I mean, we're, we're here to talk about sports and this is a, a big impact on Xavier's team because they had four returners and Jerome Hunter you look at the end of last year when Zach Fremantle went down. He was great. He averaged over 10 points a game. He was their best rebounder. Uh, he was great defensively. And in the NCAA tournament, he flourished. He had 24 points in that first round game against Kennesaw State. And they would have lost that game had he not sure stepped would've. up and played yep. the way he did. So uh, this is a big blow for Xavier. And it, I mean, again, we don't know what his status will be over the course of the season. But just having him miss this part of the off season and the preparation to get ready for the the winner is just tough because he he was on such a high coming out of last year and you were hearing such positive things about him in workouts already this year as one of the leaders of this group because uh, you know Zach Freeman one of the other returners isn't really working out too much right now because he's coming off of foot surgery so it's like he's been really limited one of the the main upperclassmen and the mainstays of this group that's been leading the way has been Jerome Hunter. So for him to to lose that opportunity when things were going so well for him, just it really stinks. And, uh, you know, obviously you, you hope everything is fine from a medical standpoint, but also there is the basketball aspect of this that is real for these guys. And you hope he's able to get back on the court and and take advantage of this final year that he was he was given because of that the covid season. Yeah, Rick. And I know because of hip, it's always hard to get information on these circumstances. Um uh, do you know any timeline for, for knowing what it is for him and what the return possibility is, or it's still too early? No, like you mentioned, I know that it was a cardiac issue that he suffered about two weeks ago. And basically, I know there's testing going on, and he is away from the team indefinitely. And other than that, we really don't know anything yeah. more. Um, just Talking again, again, I don't even know exactly what happened, and they're not going to share any more details about this because of the, the sensitivity of it. And I understand that. Um, but I, you know, talking to some doctors and, and people on like our message board who know a little bit more about this stuff, the timeline could be almost anything, literally. I mean, it, it just totally depends on what the situation is and what the testing says when they get all that done. So, um, you know, would it be a complete surprise if they say he's back for the start of the season? No, not necessarily. Um, but would it be a surprise if they said he wasn't going to play again? Not a surprise either. So we really just don't know much at all at this point. Uh, last topic here from a college basketball standpoint, Skinny. Kentucky's basketball team is in Canada right now as we speak. They'll actually tip off here in in just a, a couple of hours at, at 1.30 p.m. here on Wednesday afternoon. Sounds like they're going to be playing with no centers. Uganda and Onyenso went down with an ankle injury yesterday during a close scrimmage. No word on whether or not he'll play, but it seems pretty unlikely given the the nature of this thing being that it's 
some glorified scrimmages. Also, of course, Aaron Bradshaw, the the five-star freshman, is coming off foot surgery, so he's not with the team right now either. Any expectations or thoughts on how this is going to go for Kentucky? No. I heard I heard Cal saying they're going to go zero and four. So <laughs> he's, he's already stealing the fan base for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it, I, I do a, a radio segment in Lexington every Monday, and it's usually to talk about the Reds and Bengals and whatnot. But we'll talk college basketball, football, obviously. And and the host Jack Patty asked me the same thing. Was, well, you know, what do you think about what's going to take place this week in Canada? And I said it's going to be fascinating to watch this amalgamation of, of talent, what it looks like, um, you know, as a group. And obviously it's going to be different because you're, you mentioned they're without two bigs, but yeah, you, know, you still got Dillingham and you still got Wagner. And what does Trey Mitchell look like with this team? You know, you got Reeves back. What is, what is he going to look like coming back? So I, I do think, you know, does a Reed Shepard with some added minutes because he's got to get on the floor. Does he show that he belongs? Um, I, so I, I do think it's still fascinating if you're a Kentucky basketball fan to, to, to see what this looks like in Canada. I, I'm not even I'm kind of I, the wins and losses don't matter whatsoever. It's what does this look like? Um, and, and is it the start of pieces coming together or is it, oh, my God, they got five individuals and this is never going to work? I talked to someone who's been in two of their summer workouts here leading up to this trip and he just raved about Dillingham. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing Dillingham It'll, because that's a different type of player from what Cal typically likes having running his team, handling the ball a lot. He doesn't like pull up jump shooters, guys who are shooting a lot off the dribble. It's, you know, it's the blow by guys that get to the rim a lot and he likes his shooters to be more spot up guys typically. So uh, seeing Dillingham just create all this stuff off the dribble and, and do what he does with the basketball in his hands is going to be fun to watch. And it's also going to be interesting to see, if Cal is willing to give him a little bit more leash than he's given some of his other guards in the past. And he's going to have to. Yeah, I, I think so. So that's probably what I'm, I'm most focused on here in these first couple of games in Canada. The great thing is they're all on TV, so we'll be able yeah. to, to watch those. All right, let's get into some Ask Any Anything. Quick round here. We don't have a, a ton yep. to get to. Uh we will start with Northwestern football, Skinny. The big news nationally this week in college football was on Monday – the university president at Northwestern, Michael Sill, fired head coach Pat Fitzgerald in the wake of an investigation into hazing allegations. There is some apparently weird sexual things going on with players as hazing. And then there was another article that came out that there was a, a culture of racism in the program from years ago. What did you make of hearing that Pat Fitzgerald was fired this week over these allegations? Shocking because he seemed like he was completely, completely what Northwestern Wanted in a football coach, loved in a football coach. I mean, he played there. He was a star there. He was an assistant there. He's done great things on a consistent basis. Now, the last couple of years haven't been good, but he's done things that Northwestern football uh, doesn't do, hasn't done, hadn't done, all of those things. I mean, they were just in a Big Ten championship game a couple of years ago, for goodness sakes. That that doesn't happen. So, uh, obviously, that, that's a little disappointing. It, it's been weird because the, the, I've seen a couple of stories where the, the player that, that – Brought these allegations initially. His whole goal was to get Pat Fitzgerald fired. It sounded like he had more of a grudge to bear than anything else. At the same time, it doesn't sound like these things didn't happen. And his excuse of, well, I didn't know it was happening, that, that's not an excuse. I'm sorry. I mean, it's your program, man. Something's going to filter back up to you. And, and you should at least have some knowledge of it to go to captains or whatever and say, what the hell's going on in the locker room when I'm not around and get to the bottom of it. So I, I'm not buying that excuse. So it's just... It's disappointing in this day and age. I mean, I never was a big, I I think hazing is one of the dumbest. It's one of the reasons I didn't join a fraternity. I was not going to let somebody tell me to get down and scrub a a toilet with my, with my tongue to hell with you, man. I I got more pride than that. So I've always thought hazing was stupid. I've never understood it. I don't know what the point of it is. I don't think it shows that you're a man because you went through it or you're a man because you put somebody through it. I think it's stupid. So it, 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 you know, for him to give the whole, I, I didn't know what was going on. Well, that's that's no excuse, dude. See you later. I I mean, we've both been in some locker rooms, not at any type of high level or anything, but I I, I have a zero tolerance policy with hazing. I, I'm with you. I don't understand it at all. It doesn't make sense to me. As a, an athlete in high school or whatever, I would have never gone – along with it, like in our football locker room, I remember some weird things happening, some some kids being goofy or getting getting into fights a little bit, things like that. But I don't remember hazing, like we're strapping you down and forcing you to do this or we're pulling our junk out and setting it on you and dancing on you and grinding on you like these players were doing. None of that makes sense to me. And honestly, had anyone done something like that back in that day, 
I think they would have been ostracized for being like a sick weirdo. I don't under this, this, none of this makes sense to me. I don't get it. Um, I don't understand the fun in it. I don't understand why someone would want to do it. And I sure as hell would not go along with it. If you were trying to do it to me, like you said, that like the idea that you would join a fraternity and then clean up or drive around these upperclassmen, like it was your job is never made sense. And you paid money to do it. Fraternities made no sense. I think you're a loser. If you did it, no offense. It's just how I feel. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't get the, the hazing allegations either. And I think there should be zero tolerance for them at the same time. There is a little bit of a concern on my end for how quickly we fire people these days. Like, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I, I, I tend to believe this did happen based on their research. And my guess is it's probably bad enough that it will be worth firing him for. So I don't have a big issue with this specific situation. I'm just, it's amazing that they went from, he's suspended for two weeks. And then over the course of like, 24 or 48 hours now he's fired all of a sudden yeah and it's like i mean you better have had some really strong evidence that was really damning at that point because it seems like because you do open yourself up to a lawsuit if not i mean if he can't get him fired for cause i mean you're certainly gonna have to to wind up paying a big chunk of change if that's the case well and also the optics of it were the university president athletic director get together and they're like okay two-week suspension based on the facts then there's a public outcry and people like whoa that's not enough there was hazing there was this there's that and they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. We got to rethink this. And now they fire him. Like, that doesn't look good, in my no, opinion. Agreed. It looks a lot better if you just make the decision to fire him initially. But the fact that you're reacting to the public reaction, that's concerning to me. And I do worry about that just in general, not in college athletics, but do, just do overall. You buy, do you buy his his argument of I had no idea? Um, I'm... I don't think he was probably a part of it. I don't think he was probably trying to stop it. But but yeah, I mean, if it was one of those ones where he's like, I'm going to let the boys be boys and let them police themselves. And that's how they're going to grow and bond. Um, So I'm just going to turn a deaf ear. Uh, eh, eh, I I feel very much about this. Like I did the Rick Pitino Louisville situation. It's like, I, I have a hard time believing he had anything to do with this saying like, yeah, you should be doing it or I'll be the lookout for you. Go ahead and, go haze that kid or whatever. Like, I don't think he had any involvement, but do I think it's hard to believe he had no inclination of anything going on? Yeah. That's hard to believe. Same thing with Patino at Louisville, right? Agreed. All right. What is the deadline for the Joe Burrow deal? Skinny. Do you think he and Justin Herbert are playing chicken right now? No, I, I, I I don't think there is a deadline. And I think that's part of, there's not a hard deadline here for this. I, I know everybody wants there to be one, but don't forget, they picked up the fifth-year option on his contract. I mean, they could always franchise tag him. I don't think it's going to come to any of that, but that's still part. So there's no fast, hard deadline of Joe Burrow's camp saying he's going to sit out if it's not done by here, and the Bengals saying, well, if it's not done by here, you, you know, we're, we're not going to do it either. I, there's not a hard, fast deadline to this. I do think it's really complicated when they're trying to piece all the of Burrow and Higgins and Logan Wilson and, and such and, and factoring in what to do with Joe Mixon eventually. I think there's a lot of moving parts here that don't come together as easily as we'd like it to come together. On the surface, it seems like, hey, Joe Burrow, whatever the hell he wants, and let's be done with it. It's not that easy, and it's not going to work that way because your football team consists of more than just the quarterback. You have to pay the quarterback. They know they have to pay the quarterback. The quarterback knows he's going to get paid. But at the same time, if you want to have a good football team, and Burrow mentioned himself, you got to have other parts. And so I think a lot of this has to do with, with structure, figuring out where to slot salary cap money in certain years. So you can, you can still have room to sign guys, uh, not just Higgins and, and Wilson short term, but Jamar Chase after, after this year um, for next year. So I, I think there's just a lot of moving parts that aren't as easy as, as they seem on the surface. It, so I don't re- think there is a hard fast deadline. I don't, I've never thought there was one. I, I still think it gets done by the time camp begins in a couple of weeks. But if not, I still wouldn't be alarmed if I'm a fan. Those things will still get worked on and talked about. And Joe Burrow is still going to be the quarterback of this football team through a couple more seasons and likely beyond. I they're 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 not stupid enough to let him walk and he likes it here. And there's a this is gonna get done. It's just not as easy as it seems of just pay Joe Burrow what he wants. It's not that easy. Yeah, that, that's I said this on uh Chatterbox last week when I went on there with those guys. That I that's the one thing I'm just completely over the Joe Burrow deal getting done. I, I it's going to happen. It, it will happen at some point. There is zero chance that Joe Burrow will not be locked up in a long-term contract with the Bengals at some point, and he will probably be paid as much as any quarterback's ever been paid in some form or fashion. They'll, they'll figure out the details of how that works out. But yeah, I mean, 
you kind of know what the deal is going to be and you know that it's going to get done at some point. So I just don't understand the fashion fascination with it, but I'll also say it's a funny thing we do in the media because early, you know, after the, the NFL season dies down and people are starting to look for content, well, it becomes Joe Burrow's contract and it's getting overhyped and it's a constant storyline earlier this spring. And then now we get to this part of the year and the people covering the Bengals are like, Oh, Quit talking about the Burrow contract. It's, you know, why, why are we constantly talking about this? It shouldn't be this much of a storyline right now. It's like, well, in fairness, a couple months ago, you guys were the ones bringing it up like it was going to get done then. That's why pe- fans are still talking about it now. I totally agree with you that it's like, I'm over with it, uh, over it. I'm done with it. Let's uh, talk about something else as we get into to training camp. But fans are, are locked in on that. And that's mainly I, because I, the media listen, told them to be. He, he's, he's, he's the savior. I get it. You want, you want the savior taken care of. I'm, I, I'm fully understanding of that, of that point of it. Um, but I, you know, part of it is the Bengals have been very stubborn as far as giving guaranteed money in, 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 in years. They love to give upfront bonus money. The problem here is the upfront bonus money for him would be so much that there's not enough years in a contract that you can spread it out for the cap hit to work. So they're going to have to put some guaranteed money. So again, I think this has a lot to do with, with structure more than anything else. And I, um, I, I think it will get done. All right. Our last question here is what is skinny's favorite summer treat has to be something you can get out of your freezer, no milkshakes, hot fudge sundaes, et cetera. Favorite summer treat. Honestly, it's the only time of year I'll drink like I call frou-frou drinks that I'll drink pina coladas. And so I've got those those Bacardi mixers in the freezer to, to break out. And there's nothing better than like 630 on a, on a nice, not overly hot summer night, but a nice warm summer night. Blend up some of those bad boys and, and sit outside as the sun sets and enjoy, a, 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 a you know, like I call it, a, a frou-frou drink. It's one of the only times a year I will I will, I will will drink something like that. Or even I'll even drink a, a daiquiri at that point of the year. I'm not a big daiquiri guy, but a nice, cool drink outside like that, that's that I consider that a treat. And I've got those mixers in the freezer. I'm with you on that. I'm a margarita guy, so I'm I'm fine with the, the tiki drinks this time of year. But I also like the fact that that question immediately went to something with alcohol in it. It was well, if I I mean, ice cream is a year round thing for me. Um, uh, I, I guess sausage biscuits out of there, the Jimmy Dean sausage biscuits. They're in the freezer. <laughs> I don't think that's a summertime treat. I don't, I don't think it is either. So I'm giving you my answer to the summertime treat. I'm going to go ice cream sandwich. I, we actually, uh, I've got wow. a pregnant wife. So she just had me go get some ice cream sandwiches the other day. And I'm not going to lie. I've crushed like one each of the last three nights and they're pretty underrated. I forgot how good this well, is. Well, I don't know if this is a summertime thing, but it doesn't happen very often. Like maybe twice a year for some reason, drumstick Sunday cones wind up in the freezer and they don't last long. Yeah, that's the problem with those things for me. Like I don't crave them. I don't think about them, I but know. if they are in the freezer and I get on a kick I'll just go right through them and yeah. I'll eat them all in you know a matter of a week so uh not ideal but that's all I got for today so. all right good stuff appreciate the questions as always we will be back next week one actually two weeks from today as we do this podcast the Bengals will actually have their first training camp practice so we'll get into a lot more Bengals next week the Reds will be back in action and we've got all that to talk about and much much more for Rick Roaring I'm Richard Skinner it's been the Skinny Podcast the weekly Pope edition presented by Blake the Attorney Mason.